Section five of How to Sing. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. How to Sing by Lily Lehman. Translated by Richard Aldrich. Section five. Equalizing the Voice. Form. In the lowest range of female and male voices, with the latter it occurs in nearly the entire compass of the voice, the passage to the resonance of the head cavities is well nigh cut off, the pillars of the fauces being stretched over the pharynx and drawn back to the wall of the throat, thus confining tonal sound almost exclusively to palatal and chest resonance. The larynx is to be thought of as being placed flexibly against the palate. The tension between E, A, U is very little, rather horizontal than perpendicular. The vocal cords are tensed but little. The covering for the tone created by the U is felt in velvet-like softness at the nose, and while singing, like a big arch extending along the palate towards the back. It is united to all other vowels and organs by means of y. This we call the chest voice, the most powerful of all ranges. From the gramophone reproductions you can distinctly hear how much more sonorous the voices of men who sing exclusively with chest voice sound than those of the female, whose chest notes are the exception. By raising the soft palate behind the nose, sensation is like a mild elastic cold in the nose, raising the back of the tongue, placing the larynx closer by means of A, and by tensing the vocal cords by means of E upward and OO downward, the pillars of the fauces are drawn together, thus freeing a passage for the breath or tone toward the head cavities, the resonance of which it now puts to good account. This is the head tone, the highest range of all voices, the falsetto, the thinnest range whose characteristic quality, however, is the greatest degree of carrying power. Between these two extreme functions of the vocal organs, the deepest chest and the highest purest head voice or falsetto, lie all grades of the lower and higher middle range, as well as the mixed chest and head voice, the voix mixte everything which may be secured through the adjustment of the muscles of the vocal organs, that is, through the fit adjustment of the vocal organs in vowel mixing. Reader's Note There follow a number of illustrations. End of Reader's Note The palatal sensation, which is here indicated by black lines, is naturally only a sensation. It is accounted for in the tension of another muscle that begins above the palate, divides in two parts, and extends along and down the back of the throat. It is a stretching muscle, which, as soon as the pillars of the fauces are raised, puts in its appearance, and creates the sensation as if the pillars of the fauces extended in a wide curve directly from the nose down to the diaphragm. As a matter of fact, the pillars of the fauces draw more and more together toward the top, the higher we ascend with the tones. The sensation, though, increases through this counter-tension downwards. 
Though, as I have said in the foregoing, the passage to the head cavities is almost cut off by the stretching of the pillars of the fauces over the throat, yet a branch stream of breath, however small, must penetrate behind and above the pillars with E through the nose, and later to the forehead and head cavities. This creates overtones, head tones, which must vibrate in all tones, even in the lowest. These overtones lead from the purest chest tones, slowly, with a constantly changing mixture of both kinds of resonance, first to the high tones of bass and baritone, the low tones of tenor, the middle tones of alto and soprano, finally to the purest head tones, the highest tones of the tenor, falsetto, or soprano. The extremely delicate gradation of the scale of increase of the resonance of the head cavities in ascending passages, and of increase of palatal resonance in descending, depends upon the skill to make palate, tongue, and larynx act elastically, and to let the breath, under control of the abdominal and chest pressure, flow uninterruptedly in a gentle stream into the closely connected resonating chambers. Through the previous preparation of the larynx and tongue, it must reach its resonating surfaces as though passing through a cylinder, and must circulate in the form previously prepared for it, proper for each tone and vowel sound. This form surrounds it gently but firmly. The supply of air remains continuously the same, rather increasing than diminishing notwithstanding the fact that the quantity which the abdominal pressure has furnished the vocal cords from the supply chamber is a very small one. That it may not hinder further progression, the form must remain elastic and sensitive to the most delicate modification of the vowel sound. If the tone is to have life, it must always be able to conform to any vowel sound. The least displacement of the form, or interruption of the breath, breaks up the whirling currents and vibrations, and consequently affects the tone, its vibrancy, its strength, and its duration. In singing a continuous passage upward, the form becomes higher by means of E, and more pliant by means of OO. The most pliable place on the palate is drawn upward. When I sing a single tone, I can give it much more power, much more palatal, chest, or nasal resonance than I could give in a series of ascending tones. In a musical figure, I must attack the lowest note in such a way that I can easily reach the highest. I must, therefore, give it much more head tone than the single tone requires, very important. When advancing farther, I have the feeling on the palate, above and behind the nose, toward the cavities of the head, of a strong but very elastic rubber ball, which I fill like a balloon, with my breath streaming up far back of it. And this filling keeps on in even measure. That is, the branch stream of the breath, which flows toward resonances of the head cavities, must be free to flow from the mouth without hindrance. I can increase the size of this ball above to a pear shape, 
as soon as I think of singing higher. And, indeed, I heighten the form by making it supple, before I go on from the tone just sung, placing it, so to speak, higher, and keep in this way the form, that is, the propagation form, ready for the next higher tone, which I can now reach easily as long as no interruption in the stream of breath against the mucous membrane can take place. For this reason, the breath must never be held back, but must always be emitted in a more and more powerful stream. The higher the tone, the more numerous are the vibrations, the more rapidly the whirling currents circulate, and the more one has the sensation of a perpendicular tone or breath form. Qatar often dries up the mucous membrane. Then the tones are inclined to break off. At such times one must sing with peculiar circumspection, and with an especially powerful stream of breath behind the tone. It is better to take breath frequently. In a descending scale or figure, I must, on the contrary, preserve very carefully the form taken for the highest tone, must think it higher, under no circumstances lower, but must apparently keep the same height and imagine that I am striking the same tone again. The form may gradually be a little modified at the upper end. That is, the soft palate is lowered very carefully toward the nose, keeping almost always to the form employed for the highest tone, sing the figure to its end toward the nose, with the help of the vowel O. This auxiliary vowel O means nothing more than that the larynx is slowly lowered in position, which act must be renewed at every change of tone or letter. When this happens, the resonance of the head cavities is diminished, that of the palate and little by little that of the chest increased, for the soft palate sinks and the pillars of the fauces are inflated more and more. Yet the head tone must not be entirely free from palatal resonance. Both remain to the last breath united, mutually supporting each other in ascending and descending passages, and alternately but inaudibly increasing and diminishing. These things go to make up the form. The raising and lowering of the soft palate, and the corresponding lowering and raising of the pillars of the fauces. The proper position of the tongue. The tip rests on the lower front teeth, mine even as low as the roots of the teeth. The back of the tongue must stand high and free from the throat, ready for any movement. A furrow must be formed in the tongue, which is least prominent in the lowest tones, and in direct head tones may even completely disappear. As soon as the tone demands the palatal resonance, the furrow must be made prominent and kept so. In my case it can always be seen when I do not want to sing particularly dark, that is, cover the tone. This is one of the most important matters, upon which too much emphasis can hardly be laid. As soon as the furrow in the tongue shows itself, the mass of the tongue is kept away from the throat since the sides are raised. Then the tone must sound right. 
it lies flattest in the lowest tones because the larynx then is in a very horizontal position and thus is out of its way. Furthermore, there is the unconstrained position of the larynx, which must operate without pressure of tongue and root of tongue. From it, the breath must stream forth evenly and uninterruptedly to fill the form prepared for it by the tongue and palate and supported by the throat muscles. This support must not, however, depend in the least upon pressure, for the vibrating breath must float above, but upon the greatest elasticity. One must play with the muscles and be able to contract and relax them at pleasure, having thus perfect mastery over them. For this, incessant practice is required, increasing control of the breath through the sense of hearing and the breath pressure. At first, a very strong willpower is needed to hold the muscles tense without pressure. That is, to let the tone, as it were, soar through the throat, mouth, or cavities of the head. The stronger the improper pressure in the production of the tone, the more difficult it is to get rid of. The result is simply, in other words, a strain. The contraction of the muscles must go only so far that they can be slowly relaxed, that is, can return to their normal position easily. Never must the neck be swelled up or the veins in it stand out. Every convulsive or painful feeling is wrong. End of section 5